You ever get distracted? I'm distracted each week by the funny faces some of you make at me. You ever get distracted? You ever have too much going on and you lose track of what you're supposed to be doing or where you're supposed to be or what you've been told to do? I feel like I'm about to confess. You feel like I'm about to confess something, don't you? <laughs> I'm not. Let me ask it this way. You ever been to Walmart? You ever gone to, you ever gone to Walmart? <laughs> All of us, right? You ever gone to Walmart with a, a, a pursuit of a specific item, Texas toast, for instance? You ever go to Walmart with a pursuit of a specific item and you leave Walmart with three other items and not item number one? Any husbands guilty? Yeah, Brad put his hand up a little bit. We are people who are distracted often. We know distraction. It's a part of our everyday life. We have enough television channels to distract us from whatever we thought we were watching. Anybody do that? You're watching something, and then during the commercial break, you go to something else, and by the time you get back around, you totally forget what you were watching. Okay, am I the only one? And we only have four channels. Easily distracted. We have more television channels, more radio station options, more tabs on our internet browsers, more notification alerts on our cell phones from every single app. In our world, there are more advertising distractions that are thrown our way that isn't it a wonder that we can accomplish anything specific in a given day with how prone we are to being distracted by many other things. It seems that often the minute we get our attention focused on some specific thing, maybe a hobby, maybe a piece of technology, maybe some television show series that we were going to focus our attention on, maybe a political topic worth debating together, the moment we spend our time saying, this is the thing I'm gonna focus on, something else comes across our vision and begs for our focus to be given there as well. We are a distracted humanity. Amen? And it begins in our infancy, right? It begins not when we get through high school and then through college. Uh, we don't just start to learn to be distracted when we can start paying attention to uh, things we can't afford on television. We're, we're distracted as infants. How many of you uh, families used to or still do carry a, a bag of distractions wherever you go with your kids? Right? Come on, be honest. You carry a bag full of stuff that you know will keep your little one occupied. How many of you dads can admit that you sometimes reach into the bag of stuff to be occupied? Yeah, okay. We kind of uh, work on a, a timeline of things. We think, uh, I, I, I do this, I think, okay, this road trip, this family trip is going to take this many hours, so we have to think in terms of uh, what must I bring to occupy their time for this. Uh, a trip to state college requires six DVDs, right? Six DVDs, two rolls of duct tape, and 18 uh, Power Rangers. Anybody else relate to that? We know that we have children and we are raising generations who are easily distracted. It's part of our human bent. 
I think sometimes Jess and I get a little competitive because of this reality, even in our own family, that our kids are easily distracted. Uh, She is the queen of what she calls, I call it a distraction bag, she calls it a busy bag. And it was made by some company called 31. I forgot I'm not allowed to give commercials in a public setting. She calls it a busy bag, I call it a distraction bag. And Jess will be gone for a couple of hours and I'll have the kids to myself, which is always a treat. And we'll play a little game. It's similar to Name That Tune, where, uh, you remember Name That Tune? You remember that game show where people would head-to-head say, I can guess that song in four notes. And the other person would say, I can do it in three notes. Bring it. And then you'd say, Name That Tune. Sometimes Jess comes home and I'll say, hey, guess what? I kept the kids occupied for three hours with one video game. She's not very proud. She doesn't applaud me. I don't get any pats on the back for that, usually because I'm the one playing the video game with the kids. But we think in terms of what it's going to take to distract us through any given season of time. The reality of distractions causes us to live dissatisfied lives, right? If our nature is to allow ourselves to be distracted from something that we're focused on and something else creeps up and we give our attention over to the something else, then we are dissatisfied with the thing we have our attention on initially. Maybe the toy or app that we purchase for our child doesn't last as long as we'd hoped it would. The toy gets stuffed into the black hole that exists under every living room sofa. Amen? (laughs) Things disappear there. Usually they end up on eBay. The app that we pay $4.99 for on the Google Play Store loses its value almost instantaneous when version 2.0 comes out and they charge you another $4.99 for it and the kid thinks they have to have it. But maybe we shouldn't just talk about the distractions or the dissatisfaction in our kids' lives. We're distracted a lot as well. We are dissatisfied by the things of this world ourselves. Pastor Bob reminded us just a couple of weeks ago of our, uh, of our tendency of wanting the next best mobile technology, right? We have cell phones. And as soon as we have a cell phone, we think it's awesome. We tell everyone about it. We show them how many megapixels our phone has, how many great pictures we can take. And then the advertisement comes almost as soon as we buy the latest phone, that the newest phone is coming out with a better camera, more memory, a snappier processor, It's incredible how often we wish we would have waited. Have you ever said it? I wish I would have waited just a little bit longer because I could have had the next thing that would dissatisfy me. It's a little side note. If you are a part of the generation of people who are still using a flip phone, Pastor Loretta, calling you out. If you're still rocking that flip phone, let me just congratulate you. I, I, don't, don't buy the hype that people like me throw on you that says you gotta have a smartphone with apps. My parents are still rocking flip phones and I make fun of them every chance I get and then in private I wish I was one of them. It's incredible. Uh, Pastor Lord, we have so much fun with her in staff meeting. We, we'll talk about the, the latest app that uh, we, we've worked on and put a database of all of your faces into it, and we mix and match. No, I'm just kidding. We talk about apps in ministry all the time, and Pastor Letter just grabs out her, her flip phone, flips it open, and puts it up and says, what app? Tell, tell me more about that app. 
She rubs it in a little bit. It's great. The reality is we're distracted people. And in our distractions, we're dissatisfied with the way things are. And we quickly move on to the next best thing, often. And as funny as that may be in the illustrations that we're talking about a little bit this morning, the reality is this same dissatisfaction due to distraction creeps into the life of the church and our spiritual lives as well. Maybe we don't want to talk about it, but there exists the reality that uh, possibly most of us in this room don't really want to deal with the old stuff. We don't really want the old stuff anymore. And I'm not talking about hymns uh, versus choruses. I'm talking uh, theologically. Many of us, have, if we've existed any time, any length of time in the church, we've heard every story, every uh, Bible story, we've heard messages on messages on messages, and yet we still find ourselves saying things like, I want something new. I want something more. I want, a, I want a new revelation from God. I want to hear God's voice in a fresh way. I want, I want a message that relates to uh, culture right now. I, I want to hear something from God. I want to hear his voice. I want to experience him in a real way for right now. Haven't we all come to a point in our life where we haven't necessarily felt the same spiritual high that we once did. Or maybe we've used terms like, I just haven't, I just haven't heard from God in a while. Guess who never changes? Guess who's easily distracted? It's very telling of our nature and our proneness to distraction when often a phrase is used in church circles, when uh, someone leaves a church and goes to another church or, or leaves a church and doesn't go to church. They use a phrase, many of you possibly know this one, where they say about the previous location where they were, they say this phrase, I, I, I came here because I wasn't being... You've said that phrase. We've all said the phrase... We've all experienced this little, this little inkling in our heart that there must be something more exciting, something bigger, something more flashy, something more exciting, something fresher, something new. And so we say things like, I just, I'm not being fed. And unfortunately, these arguments are complaints of not being fed or not necessarily hearing from God are most often paired with a lack of fellowship with believers and a hiatus of genuine time spent alone in God's word. The thing we complain about, about saying, I just haven't been fed or I haven't heard from God, well, when people come to me and say those kinds of things, I ask them, when's the last time you read your Bible? And there's an instant like, uh, I thought you were supposed to read the Bible. That kind of language comes from our proneness to distraction and dissatisfaction. The beauty, I think, of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it encompasses both the simple that even kids behind this wall can respond to it and experience life change. Both that simple and complex enough 
to be something we have to work out our whole life. The gospel is beautiful that way. Uh, to borrow another analogy, the gospel in and of itself has within it both the milk and the meat. But the reality is that in our tendency to pursue the next best things in this world, we often in our spiritual lives sidestep the reality of what God wants to do in and through us in the most basic levels. We get over it. I've said that before. You've heard that before. Oh, we go beyond it. We think, okay, this is something I know and this is something else that I, I, I want to experience in another way. We have to be careful. This morning, I think Paul addresses the reality of our tendency to move on from the basics by repeating those basics to the Philippians here at the end of chapter three in the book of Philippians. Look with me closely at Philippians chapter three, verses 17 through 21. I'm gonna read from the New Living Translation. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. We are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Pray with me. Lord, challenge our hearts, change our thinking, Align ourselves with the truth of your word. Amen. I asked you initially, do you ever get distracted? How about in the woods? Hunters, Clearfieldians. It's a requirement for us to be hunters, right, if we live in Clearfield? One of the reasons we look through a scope on a rifle or on a brand new crossbow, is so that we won't miss the target, right? There's magnification to a scope, but there's also the field of view, the field picture, the line of sight that helps us to uh, not miss the yellow jacket target and hit the shed. Somebody in my neighborhood did that this week. I don't, it's amazing how you can miss a target and hit a shed with a crossbow. We look through a scope, uh, because it helps to take out the distractions. And we uh, think through terms like being on target. This morning in this passage of scripture, I think Paul is reiterating uh, his reminders of our need to be on target on the basics of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to look at three of them in these five verses that can help us get back on target in our lives as followers of Jesus. There are three areas that we need frequent and constant reminding of, and they're as simple as they sound. They are very simple, and yet complex enough to require us a lifetime of attention. Follow with me as we learn how to get on target as a follower of Jesus Christ. The first is this, 
engage in discipleship. Paul's first reminder to the Philippians is in verse 17. He says, brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Much of Paul's letter up until now to these early Christians has been full of consistent examples of how to be more like Jesus. And you and I might read a passage like this or a verse like this, and we might initially bristle that someone like Paul would be so forthcoming as to say, hey, follow me. Do what I do. I've got it all together, right? We have that little something in the back of our mind that says, yikes, I could never say that. I want us to understand that Paul is not suggesting that the church be made up of many Pauls. He's not looking to create a a church full of people who look just like him. Rather, he reiterates elsewhere in scripture the implication. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The challenge is the same today that we as Christians are to be imitating the one who paid it all, the one who accomplishes all things. And we collectively together, as we follow the one, are supposed to be building each other up. And this at its core, at its most basic, is the core of discipleship, that together, together, we become more and more like the Savior. Paul's reminder includes the instructions of action. He says, imitate, pattern your lives. This obviously requires more than just simple words. To learn from those who follow our example, as Paul references, means to study the lives, the beliefs, the customs, the habits, the temperaments, and the fruit of mature Christians in order to learn how to develop those beliefs, customs, habits, temperaments, and fruit in our own life. That's to remind us that to simply observe or study is not enough in our life. We, we can't simply study and look at it and say, yeah, that's something. It requires action. It requires a response. We can know a whole lot But if we don't place it into action, if it doesn't take root in our life, and if it doesn't change something in our life, we haven't truly applied it. Discipleship is the process by which we study, observe, and become more like Jesus Christ, and it happens in a variety of ways. As a kid growing up in the church, discipleship only had a really narrow definition for me. I, I, I think I thought discipleship only took place in my dad's office, who was a pastor. Discipleship only took place with someone who had recently uh, come forward to an altar, made a decision, and then dad set up weekly appointments with that person, and they worked through however many weeks of a discipleship program, and once they accomplished that discipleship program, they were a disciple. Neat, tied package, go on and do Whatever and then await the next opportunity. Today, I feel like I have a much broader and I hope more accurate definition of discipleship. I'm still a disciple of Jesus Christ and I still need sharpened in my discipleship. I still want to imitate the one who I serve and so I have to find ways myself 
to not just be a discipler, but to be discipled. And so logically, it leads itself to an understanding that our life as a follower of Jesus Christ needs to be in community, together becoming more and more like Jesus. If there are things in my life that don't lead me to being more like Jesus, I need to get rid of those things. If there are areas in my life where I find discipleship happening, I want to spend more time there. Discipleship does not always happen one-on-one in the pastor's office on a weekly basis. Sometimes it happens here in community on a Sunday morning as we're impacted by God's word together. Sometimes it happens in our small groups, in our life groups, where we literally try to do life together. And as we chew on conversationally the, the sermons and messages that we hear together on a Sunday morning, we are sharpening one another. Sometimes discipleship takes place as we rub shoulders and work alongside others through events like the Beast Feast and Harvest Festival. I read a great quote this week. It says this, quote, We talk a lot in church about sharing our faith and being a witness, usually as these practices apply to evangelism. But there is a very real need to continually share our faith with our brothers and sisters, to be witnesses day after day, even to the already converted. Discipleship. Living out our faith together, sharpening one another, growing to become more and more like Jesus. It's true. I can't tell you the benefits of being a part of something as simple as our men's breakfast once a month. We happened to have it yesterday. And we joined together for this awesome time of discipleship, right, gentlemen? There were 14 of us yesterday. We all felt like disciples. I didn't break out the curriculum. We didn't study a specific passage of scripture, but let me tell you, discipleship takes place in that time together. One of the reasons I bring my son now to that breakfast is not simply to see if I can wake him up on a Saturday morning. It's because there's a group of guys gathered together under the banner of Jesus Christ in a real place Some of those guys are pretty sketchy. I'm just kidding, they're not. Maybe Ed. We gather together under the banner of Jesus Christ to do life together, to talk about real stuff. And we talk about all kinds of real stuff. And together we continue to push our focus back on how the Lord is developing us. Sometimes it's a little more real than other times. It was interesting yesterday. I don't know if it's the first time since I've been here, but something happened yesterday. We, we, we took care of our, our bills, all of us at the same time. Waitress came back, gave us all our, our checks. We all paid for everything, and uh, nobody wanted to leave. There was just like this awkward, all right, we've done everything we're supposed to do, but it still feels like we're supposed to stick around. I, I think that's because we know that Together in this group, we we like being together. 
We like growing together. We like being challenged together. We like talking about real life stuff and agreeing together that God is doing a work inside of us and that we're uh, trying to be better husbands and fathers and community members because we know that's what God wants of us. As a Christian, it is our responsibility to be discipled. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's your responsibility to be discipled. To find ways in which you can be challenged, sharpened in your walk, in your relationship with Jesus. It's your responsibility. We'd like to put it on the the church. It's the responsibility of me and, and Pastor Bob and Pastor Loretta and Pastor John. It's our responsibility to disciple you. Guess what kind of scheduling nightmare that entails? Do you think our our staff of full-time and part-time, free-time pastors can disciple every person that's associated with Hyde Wesleyan Church? On a one-on-one basis in their office and work through 12 steps through a curriculum? We can't, Pastor Bob can't, I can't, but there are so many opportunities for us to be in discipleship that are part of this church family. There are small groups, there are life groups, there's gathering together for worship and fellowship. There are things that are happening all of the time that if you would choose, if you would desire to be a part of discipleship, growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ, and you want to be in community that way, there are ample opportunities. It's our responsibility to be discipled. It's also our responsibility as a Christian to find others who need discipled. We have the responsibility to find other people who uh, would be within our group, would be within our, our circle, our sphere, and would be willing to grow together in an area of their life, would be willing to study a passage of scripture, or willing to have conversation that leads them to growing in their relationship with Jesus. Being a, a disciple maker is not about reaching a place of perfection where we claim to have it all together and are ready to show it off. That's the opposite of being a disciple maker. Likewise, don't overlook the benefit of spending time with what we may deem as an average Christian who may be further along in an area of life than we are. It's our responsibility to be in discipleship and to be a disciple maker. Staying on target, number two, remember who you are. You've heard me say it many times that one of the last things I say to Ella and Ezra before they get out of the car on their way into school on a weekday is remember whose kid you are. Ezra, he's seven now. Ezra seven? Yeah. I can't remember. Sometimes he answers the question before I even ask it. He's such a goofball. He opens the door and he says, your kids are God's kids. And I'm like, what? Remember whose kids you are. That question that I ask my kids every single morning is my attempt 
at indelibly marking their hearts and minds with the reality that they are, as Paul reminds us, citizens of heaven. And I believe in all my heart that this needs to be a consistent and frequent reminder for you and me who are easily distracted too. While we may carry a license in our wallet or our purse that identifies us as a resident of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, and we may have a passport back at home in the safe that identifies us as a citizen of the United States of America, we may have these earthly identities, but our true identity is what truly matters. Our heavenly citizenship. I've told you pieces of my story as we've been able to share life together over the past two and a half years. Some of you know that I, I grew up in Henrietta, New York, a little suburb of Rochester, and for nine years I grew up there. And after I finished my ninth grade year, my freshman year in high school, my dad uh, was asked to come be a pastor in South Carolina, upstate New York to South Carolina as a freshman in high school. I entered my sophomore year as that Yankee. I talked funny, I looked funny, I know it's hard to imagine. But I experienced what I, I, I kind of point to in my timeline of life as one of my identity crises of life because I was transported from one whole entire different culture to a whole entire alternate universe in South Carolina. And I finished those rest of my years of high school. It only took me six years to finish high school. You're still awake, good. I finished high school and I moved 600 miles west, north and west, up to Indiana, in central Indiana where I went to college. And again, I experienced an identity crisis in my life because of my earthly identity. I was no longer safe in my bubble of school and work and home. Now I'm on my own. In college, studying for the ministry, a wholly different experience. And I think all of us understand that our earthly identities are constantly rearranging. Our age, our grade, our relationship status, our economic status, our jobs and careers, all of these are changing around us all the time, like it or not. And they all have a direct effect on how we will identify ourselves and are identified by those around us. Don't believe me? Get on an airplane. What's one of the first questions somebody asks you when you meet a stranger sitting next to you? Other than move over, you smell funny. I hate when they say that. I'm just kidding. Where are you from? And then what? What do you do? Oh, we know how to identify ourselves as human beings. And we identify ourselves in that way. If we dare to allow this to be the primary measurement of who we truly are, we will never be satisfied. Paul speaks, writes some harsh words for those who are measured, those who measure their value this way. Verses 18 and 19 from our passage say this. There are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. The idol chasers 
in this passage are focused on earthly things. Their God is their appetite, meaning they do what they want, when they want, and how they want. Whatever they feel like doing, whatever feels good, whatever satisfies temporarily is what they will seek total satisfaction in. And if our citizenship is in the things of this world, it makes sense to live in worldly ways. But if we will take Scripture to mean what it says, if we are as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, if we are truly citizens of heaven, it doesn't make sense for us to live this way. In fact, Language is even stronger elsewhere in Scripture that we are to live as exiles, as foreigners in this land. There's a lot of talk in our media about what that looks like. And that's who we are in earthly terms. We're to acknowledge the ways in which this world is in direct opposition to God's plan. How do we stay on target? Third, anticipate eternity. Back to our passage. Verse 20, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Eagerly awaiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Isn't this another of the consistent, frequent reminders we need to stay on target as followers of Jesus Christ? Isn't isn't this the reality that we have a hope that the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace? This is the reminder of things to come. This is the reminder of a once and for all fix to the brokenness we experience in this life. It's the finish line we are all to be running towards and we need to keep this at the forefront of our attention. Theologian D.A. Carson wrote this couple of sentences. He says, Paul insists in the strongest of terms that genuine Christianity, the kind that he wants imitated, lives in the light of Jesus' return. It is the kind of Christianity that joins the church in every generation crying out, Amen, come Lord Jesus. In short, it is Christianity that is preparing for heaven, for that is where our home is, our true citizenship, our true destiny. I love how Paul challenges Titus in Titus chapter 2. Look at these words. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed, Paul writes, to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. The challenge is ours today, too. Live in this evil world with wisdom, 
righteousness and devotion to God while keeping our attention on heaven, anticipating eternity, expectant of eternity, hopeful for heaven. Can you imagine what it would be like if we'd stop being distracted by the things of this world every day and focus on heavenly things 100%? I asked myself a question as I was working on this message. I wonder how much of my day is consumed by the right now. What if I gave more attention to anticipating heaven than I do focused on easing earthly frustrations? How do we stay on target? How do we ease the dissatisfaction that comes along with being human beings? How do we keep our focus on the task at hand? Again, engage in discipleship. Be a disciple. Be a disciple maker. Remember who you are. You are a citizen of heaven. You don't belong here. You are not created for the 80 years we have on this earth and anticipate eternity. Are you eagerly awaiting the return of Jesus Christ? Are you living in a way that acknowledges that Jesus is returning? Would you stand with me? I'm gonna ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. And with no one looking around, I just want to ask you on a personal level, as personal as we can in this kind of a setting, that if the Lord is speaking to you specifically about one or more of these targets, about being a disciple or disciple maker, about remembering where your citizenship is, or about remembering what is coming after this life. If the, Lord, if the Lord's speaking to your heart, would you just acknowledge that by raising a hand and letting me know so I can be praying for you? Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I want you to know you're in good company this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, We thank you for the time that we've been able to spend together in these moments studying your word. I thank you for the sharpening that takes place as we collectively come before you in this fashion. I pray that you would truly change us. For these this morning who have responded to a a nudging in their spirit by your spirit, I pray, Lord, that you would do a work We pray against the distractions that come with our humanity. And we pray against the dissatisfaction that evolves out of those distractions. And we ask that you truly would allow us to be on target this morning. Lord, I thank you that discipleship is a part of our lives as believers. I thank you for allowing us to come alongside others who are 
walking similar paths towards you. And I pray, Lord, that you would help each of us who is a follower of yours to be in close and frequent discipleship. I pray for creative methods and opportunities for discipleship to sprout up in new ways within the Hyde Wesleyan Church. I pray that you would lead maybe someone here this morning to be a part of starting another discipleship group or a life group. I thank you, Lord, that we can remember this morning whose we are. Help us with this needed blinder in our life to not, by, not be distracted by the things of this world, but that we would truly remember our citizenship resides in heaven. And Lord, as we live out this, this life as a follower of Jesus, help us to live anticipatory of the things that are to come. There is such wonder in your scriptures of the promise of the glory of heaven. Forever in your presence, no more night, no more sickness, no more hurt. We believe this is a very real place, heaven. And we ask, Lord, that you would empower us to live, to live lives that represent that truth. We love you. I thank you for the time again that we've spent together this morning. And I pray that you would challenge our hearts continually. May we continue to chew on the truth of your scripture. Remind us often, Lord, of how to remain on target. We ask your blessing upon all these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Stay on target. Go in his peace this morning. Amen.